Sonic Gorms. My name is Max, of course. Pleasure to meet you. I've got a very special guest on the show and Lee Maddie. Uh, I'm a huge fan of your vocals, particularly during the, uh, the your work with Romeo's Daughter, which that first album to me is a is a classic record. Uh, Thank you. Whether it got the recognition or not doesn't matter. What matters is its quality. And um, you can hear it every time you put it on. You can tell it's a labor of love. Uh, the songwriting and all that. So thank you for doing this with me. It really is a pleasure. Um, thank you, Max. It's lovely to be asked. Thank you. Absolutely. So one of the things I like to do, especially with first time guests, is getting the full scope of the artist's trajectory throughout their career. So beginning with their roots. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with me your beginnings uh, as a singer songwriter. Okay. Um, God, we're going back a really long way, Max. <laughs> I have to go. I have to kind of go back into the into the deepest, darkest parts of my brain to remember all of this. But um, I think that, to be honest, I, I really only think of myself as being an art, a proper artist, when I met Craig from Romeo's Daughter, which was in 1984, we met, um, and we met on the phone. Um, there was an advert in a in a, uh, a music magazine that was really big here in the UK, and they were looking for a singer for their band. And he and I spoke on the phone, and we we hit it off. And I I really had not very much. I had not had much. Um, rock per se um experience up till that point i always thought i was going to be kind of more of an r&b singer that was my you know standing next to piano it was my idea of what if i was going to be a professional singer for me that was what i was going to be and then i met craig and i went and auditioned for romeo's daughter although we weren't called romeo's daughter then we were called lots of different things before we actually had to decide on a name um and I just, there was just something about his songwriting and there was just something about how it, I thought, wow, this is really empowering. Also, there were very few female rock singers around in the UK at that time. Um, in fact, there were very few female rock singers around, female rock singers around full stop. I mean, in America, obviously there were more, but in the UK, we were really behind um, in, in that whole genre of music. And so... When I think about the stuff I did before Romeo's Daughter, it really wasn't important. For me, it all really started in 1984. I'd, I'd sung at school. I'd, I'd had like a funny little record deal um, that didn't come to anything. I think they thought I was going to be a country singer. It, it was all a little bit confused before, before Romeo's Daughter. And then I met Craig and we started working together. We started writing together. And for me, that there was that was the beginning of me becoming an artist in my in my own right, I suppose. Well, all, but, but obviously part of a of a fabulous band. So, um, yeah, I'd say I'd say 1984. That was it. And I started and I've never really looked back. Um, it's quite interesting, actually, because I do get asked to do other projects and work on other projects and in the past and. And none of it really interests me. I, I I only really have interest in singing Romeo's Daughter songs, which might seem a bit strange, but um, that's that's my baby. And, and for me, that is all I've ever really wanted to do as a singer. It seems to me, it sounds like you really care about the 
it, it's really about what's in here, right? It's about what's in the oh, heart absolutely. for you. Absolutely. You, you're not just going to go do it for the money ever. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. My, uh, if I'd have done it for the money, I would have been <laughs> stopped many, many years ago. No, um, we, we've kept Romeo's daughter going through, through love, really. It sounds corny, but there's not been really anything else. We've had no other support. We've had no record li- since our first record deal in, in, in 19, whenever it was, 80, 87, I think we signed to Jive. We, we've not had any support. We've not had any record label. We've done everything ourselves. Um, you know, we lead very busy lives. We all have businesses. We all, we have families. We have lots of things that, that are going on in the background. And, we only we really only do this because we love it so so much and the thought of not doing it is really a horrible thought i don't even like to think about it to be honest it's scary for me to think about that going into romeo's daughter your what was your voice like as far as like i know um mutt lang has a huge influence uh yeah. On, vocal, on yes, singers, absolutely. all the yes. singers I've ever worked with him say that they're the first person that he like channels in on as far as trying to get the best. Because Mutt Lang is a singer himself, of course. Absolutely. So. He's a very but, good singer. Yeah. So prior to you working with him and collaborating with him on that first record, where were you as a singer? Actually, you know, thinking back, um, you know, Mutt was a, a pretty hard taskmaster, but I think he kind of liked my voice, uh, which helps to begin with. And I I don't think he, as far as I can remember, I mean, I remember being in the booth for hours and hours and hours like everybody, but he, he, he's a little bit of like a control, well, he is a control freak with, with pretty much everything. And, and, and as far as I can tell with other singers, he, it got to, some singers who I I won't mention, but it was like syllables. You know what I mean? It was like every syllable had to be done. It was torturous from from all accounts, from what I've heard from other people who've worked with him. Um, It wasn't that way with me. I think with me, he knew that I was pretty inexperienced, but I think he quite liked working with me and and he just kind of coaxed the best performances out of me. uh, I remember some songs were harder than others, uh, and and um, he he really pushed my, the limit of my range. Um, but on the whole, I don't remember it being an awful experience. I I remember it being quite an enjoyable experience, and it really taught me that there were certain things that he got out of me, like when I listen back to the first album, there's there's a few quite quirky little things going on and there's a little whoop and, and things like that, which I probably wouldn't have done myself, but a bit like, you know, do you remember there was a thing called Lena Lovich and she used to do all these little funny little quirky things and he 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 got some things like that out of me and, and I think I probably just incorporated them now in, into how I sing in general. But I don't think that he he completely changed my tone or, or my style. I think he just kind of made it maybe said to me, well, that's really good what you're doing, or that's not so good what you're doing. He he was he was really um a fantastic teacher for all of us. He really was. Um and we had a really lovely experience with him. We went and lived in his house. He had this incredible house in the UK and we went just decamped there for like 
weeks on end. And we recorded, I think, about half of the album there. And the, the rest of it was recorded at Battery Studios, uh, which is like this iconic studios that's not there anymore. Um, and, and we were so young and naive and we had no expectations. And I think he liked that. I think he liked that we we just came we were just very excited to be there and we had no idea what was going to happen and 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 we were very unspoiled i think we still are to be honest as a band i you know we're we're we really just we're just grateful for everything that comes our way um we don't expect anything um and i think we were we were even more so maybe like that when we were all like 23 24 years old so we had a really wonderful experience with him in hindsight <laughs> We didn't realize just quite how, how iconic the whole experience was and and how, you know, we were like, oh, great, this guy wants to work, do some work with us. We knew he'd done some great work before. and But we didn't think, oh, my God, you know, this is this incredible guy and we're scared to be there. We weren't like that. We just we just got on with it and made the best record that we could. And And as you said, it still sounds pretty good today, I think. It still holds up because Matt was such an incredible producer and and songwriter really and everything really he's he was he was just so fantastic at everything he probably still is but i don't i don't hear much of his work now so i don't really know what he's doing but then he was just at the top of his game who were your vocal influences to begin with as like from the very beginning who were those first people that really got you to develop yourself as a singer prior yeah. to getting into Romeo's right. Well, I mean, I, I think, um, uh, you know, my dad was, was very much into, into R&B and jazz. So that very much was my influence when I was young. But when I, when I became a teenager and I, and I started kind of thinking, who do I like as a female singer? My, I, I can honestly say that Annie Lennox for me was my, I thought she was absolutely wonderful. I loved the way she was so androgynous and and that she she was such a strong woman and I loved the tone of her voice and I really loved her stuff. Um and then and then Barbara Streisand I think probably was from when I was a little girl Barbara Streisand my mother loved Barbara Streisand so there was all these Barbara Streisand albums in the house and I used to put them on and I can remember sitting and listening to that beautiful tone that she had um you know the style of song she sang was not particularly maybe this it was a bit not my thing but god I loved her voice so much um and then and then like Bonnie Raitt is is probably my other really wonderful the, the woman who I admire immensely and and who I really really love to listen to but you know I think I kind of grew up with more male influenced singers than than female but I would say that that Annie Lennox Barbara Streisand and Bonnie Raitt for me were my three my three top female artists and Annie Lennox was definitely the woman who I used to look like I, I had really short punk hair when I when I met Romeo's um, Craig I had like really spiky hair and I looked very punky and I I, I look much more androgynous than 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 I, I did when the first Romeo's Daughter albums came out. And that was one of the things they said to me after they saw like loads of women to audition. And I went in and I had blue nails and punk hair and, and they called me and they went, we really love your voice, but will you try and grow your hair? Because <laughs> you don't look like a rock singer. I went, all right, I'll try and grow my, my hair. I thought it was quite odd at the time. Um, so, yeah, yeah, those, those are the three for me. 
it's funny because I can hear a little bit of those three in your voice. Oh, can you? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. Just in the, in the, the tone of your, right. of your voice. Um, and, and oh, that's nice. Thank you. That's a real compliment. It can be clean, but it can also be uh, a bit raspy if it, if it goes into certain territory. There's a lot that can be done there. There's a yes. lot of uh, there's a lot of fluidity in your yes. voice, which I, I absolutely uh, admire. Oh, so. thank you so much, Mike. That's really kind yeah. of you. Thank you. So now, and sorry for flip flopping here, but I'm just curious. Yeah, you go ahead. I, Going into now Romeo's daughter, meeting up with Craig and all that. They wanted a female vocalist, it sounds like. That's what they were going for from the very beginning. So they find you and now you start working on songs. How does that begin? The songwriting process. Yeah, that was that was that was really torturous, actually. We um, we we were all absolutely skinned. We had this we had a manager, though, who who kind of opened up a house and she had a studio in her house. And we would go every weekend. We would work during the week doing our different jobs and we would go on the weekends. And it it was really, really torturous. It, it, it took it took years, really, because we I think we met in 1985, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I don't think we actually got a record deal to like maybe end of 1987. So as far as I can remember, we had like two and a, a good two and a half to three years of writing, demoing, writing, demoing. Also because we were kind of doing something that was a little bit unusual, having a rock band with a female singing. Um, we, a lot of people kind of didn't, they weren't quite sure of where we, who we were. And they, we didn't have a great response initially. I don't think from, from the people maybe that our, that our manager kind of put, you know, um, played our stuff to. And, and really the catalyst for us was, um, luckily or unluckily, I'm not quite sure. In the long run, I'm not sure it did us that many favours. But luckily at the beginning, she was uh, Mutt Langer's ex-wife, our manager. Her name is Olga Langer. And and obviously at the time, he was this hugely famous guy and he he didn't give us the time of day. I mean, why would he? He was working on these incredible, you know, he was, he was busy for years. And anyway, for some reason... We, we wrote a song called Stay With Me Tonight, which we fully demoed. And this is like probably about two years down the line. And she played it to him. I mean, she probably like just forced him to have a listen to it. They were still friends, which was, which was good. And he really, really liked this song. And that was for him when I think he thought, mm, I quite like the sound of this these guys. And we met him and we had a meeting with him. And from that first meeting, he went through our demos and he went, okay, this is the bit that I think is good in this song. This is the bit that I think is good in this song. Uh, and Craig, who is just the most wonderful songwriter, just kind of absorbed everything that he said. And we started then seriously to work with the advice that Mutt had given us and then also on the songs that he really liked. And I can't really remember exactly what changed his mind with us, but maybe she just harangued him so much, Olga, that he just went, all right, all right, all right, I give in. I'm going to work with this band. Um, But then I think he only planned to do a couple of songs with us and then it ended up being half the album. Um, Heaven in the Backseat was written with him. Some of the songs were written with him at the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those came together much more quickly. Um, uh, and so 
yeah, it's hard to remember exactly, to be honest, Max, exactly what happened. But then because of Mutz saying he would get involved with us, then Jive got interested. And then from that, which is kind of what happens with a lot of bands, to be honest, you have like, you have one person who's, who's kind of well-known and goes, oh, I, I'm interested in working with this band. And then, and then it seemed to go pretty quickly from that point. We got a deal, I think in 1987, we finished recording the album in maybe end of 1980, yeah, middle of 1988. And it came out the end of 1988, beginning of 1989. So it seemed to take forever. And then all of a sudden it moved very, very quickly. It's funny you mentioned uh, Mutt Lang's busy schedule. I mean, and, and that was, I believe, from 84 to 87, he was working on Hysteria for Def Leppard, which Absolutely. took about three years to get. I mean, that that record went over budget because. Um, oh, huge. Yeah. I mean, just on on, a, on an epic level. I mean, really, it, it really turned. But I mean, look, I mean, it went over budget. But wow, look what a huge success it was for them. And. And I see yeah. your I see your album, that first Romeo's Daughter album, almost as like the successor record in a lot of ways to Hysteria. And, oh, and when, it comes, when it comes to songwriting and production, yeah. there's a lot of similarities. I feel it's yes. almost like it's almost like a sibling record in a, in a lot well, of ways. Also, don't forget the, the 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 kind of the equipment that was being used at the time. You know, the desk that he used, the keyboards that he used, the, all that stuff was. I mean, now you have such a huge choice, but but then you know, people were using the the, the new equipment that was coming out, and so a lot of the equipment that he used on Hysteria he used on 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 us you know the sounds and so that is why there's definitely a similarity but i i i mean i don't know exactly what he used on his hero but to be honest our our album is very simplified compared compared to, to, to you know hysteria you know there was i mean he tended to layer he always layered like you know sounds over sounds over sounds over sounds and 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 he used a neve desk and so obviously the desk was the same. So there was bound to be that similarity. It's the same when Shania Twain's first album came out. Everybody said Shania Twain's album sounded like our album, just because there was that continuity. And maybe also because he'd worked with us and, if, and he, he didn't really like working with female singers very much. He was a little bit funny about that. Uh, I mean, his first wife um, was called Stevie and she was a fantastic um, session singer. I don't, I'm not sure she ever re- produced... Or released a solo album. I she, might be wrong. She's a she became a vocal coach, I believe, in yes, the eighties, and that's she, correct, she even yeah. worked with uh, Joe Elliott as his vocal yeah, coach that's, at one that's, point. That's right. And then I think so, she she did do a record. It came out in ninety five. Oh enough, well, okay. Mutt produced it, but it, it didn't really get any sort of ah uh, okay. But I, yeah, I, there I was one record that came out in the right. mid nineties. So he so he yeah. worked he worked with her, um, but he he was a little bit just dis- I don't know he, he wasn't. For some reason, I don't know, maybe he thought we were, I don't know, I don't, you know, I don't know, maybe he thought we were too emotional, I don't know, you, you know, he was kind of a man's man, but, you know, so, um, I, I don't know, but, so, yeah, that's quite interesting, so that's why from that time you've got the, his albums that are all sound a little bit similar, <laughs> all good, but a little bit similar. You mentioned something really interesting, which I heard he likes to do, he was picking apart bits from your demos it wasn't necessarily the whole song it'd be oh, like no. be a piece here or a piece there oh absolutely he would yeah absolutely he would you know he'd say I, I like this bridge or or this is what we you know you need to do in the core yeah he very much so he um he he definitely dissected the songs 
because he, he had a formula that he worked to and and it, it worked, you know, and he knew he was such a talented musician. His ear was just, you know, you could just hear things that you think only dogs could hear. You know, it was like quite extraordinary, the things we go, what, what, what do you mean? And go that, you know, so it was really, really interesting um, how, how convoluted and intricate it all was. And yet it all made complete sense once you'd actually put it all down and you'd moved everything around, you know, I think for, for Craig, it, it, it's, it's made Craig as a songwriter working with, with my, my, you know, Craig, not only he, you know, he's gone on to be an incredibly successful um, library music writer, like really successful. If you can, you know, he, he writes like so much stuff. He also, he's written for other bands. He's written for other singers. He, he has gone on and, and Craig also works to kind of a, a certain format, which I suppose a lot of songwriters do. And, and that is what he's definitely what he's picked up from working with Mutt. It, it really was quite an extraordinary time for us. I wish we could go back now and actually maybe appreciate it a little bit more, you know, in, you know, you don't, you don't realize when you're young that you don't realize that that is going to be such a momentous thing in your life. You know, you're just young, you know, and you, you think, Oh, well, I'll, we'll do another, you know, that never happened with much, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And I feel very blessed to have been part of all of it. Can't go without mentioning there, uh, John Parr, who also worked. Yeah, on the John, of course. So, who, uh, who was also at the time was like flying high. He like had a huge success, and and we I can't even remember how we met John. I think we met John socially doing something, and then he really wanted to work with Mutt. That was his big thing. He was, I mean, who didn't? And so he ended up um, producing, I think, three of the tracks, maybe three or four of the tracks of the first album. Um, I, I don't think it ever worked out with him. I don't think he ever got to work with Mutt on, on a personal level, on his own stuff. Um, but John is fantastic. I still am friends with John and we keep in touch. And that was really lovely as well. John was a lot of fun. You know, John John was was uh, the fun the fun side of working. Mutt was like kind of quite serious and John was was really good fun. And and yeah, we, we all became really good friends. I have to, uh, one, one thing that I really enjoy, and you, you brought this up a little bit earlier in our conversation was, the character in your voice, those inflections, those minor inflections that even Mutt Lang would put on your voice, those little hiccups and stuff that you would normally not do. But to yeah. me, it adds character to what to what you are doing in your performances. And that's something to me that is very evident in, in the album that for as well produced as it, as it is. Yeah. Your vocals are very human. Very yes. the emotion is there. Yeah. And I think that's very important to note about that production and that that yeah. album well thank you i mean I, I think um one of the things and we've still done it i and somebody mentioned it the other day a fan they said they can always hear the breaths in between all my lines and a lot of the time that is taken out now especially a lot of people use the what's it called the the tuner the mm -hmm. the voice tuner thing which even which takes out even more character i mean I, I i don't understand to be honest why a lot of singers do that i don't know why they feel they need to do that um but for us i mean a lot of this music as well is very personal i mean it's like they love songs they're like they're very sexy a lot of the songs they're like very much about human emotion and, and i think you have to try and put in as much emotion as you can when you're 
performing them and and that's what i try to to do you know so i i i'm glad it, you know it, it it comes across yeah well thank you thank you for that work because it's honestly it's a record i always go back to multiple times oh, a year great. it's one of my favorite albums i and it, to me it's one of those albums that really should have been a smash in every way i mean on a commercial level yeah. but and not just a critical one, because I, I, I really do. It sounds to me, it's one of those records. There's a lot of albums out there that when you put on, there's just a magic to it. And yes. you, you almost um, you almost frightened and, and, and upset at times that it didn't get the accolades that it deserved. So to me, that's yeah. one of those albums that to me, anybody that hasn't checked it out, the it's also it's been remastered on um, Rock Candy. Records, which is a a label in the UK that remasters lost records, made records that didn't get all the attention in the world and kind of puts them back out into the um, the market, which I think is really cool and really important. So uh, you get a little, you get a second shot at checking those albums out. Yeah, great. Extensive liner notes, all that. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Uh, Yeah, I mean, thank goodness it was actually because we ran out of copies and it just kind of disappeared, you know, because obviously when our deal ended with Jive, uh, we didn't, you know, there was no way of getting hold of the album unless somebody was selling it for a fortune on, on Amazon or, or eBay. So it was really great that, uh, that, that Derek from Rock Candy did that. And they say did a really lovely booklet as well, which we didn't have on the first time as, as well. So it was, they really put a lot of care in that, in that album because they felt very much like you, that it, it was, you know, quite, you know, one of the, the, the better albums that had been released at the end of the 80s in, in our genre. And, and that's really nice. It's also actually coming out on vinyl soon. Um, uh, we have a we have a, a deal with a, an, a label in America called Renaissance, and they've just released um, uh, one of our newer albums called Rapture on vinyl, and they're going to release the first album again on vinyl, which is really great because obviously vinyl is coming back. And, you know, so at least it's it's back, you know, and people can buy it if they want it. And it's lovely, you know, the people like you actually still, you know, promote it and 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 enjoy it and listen to it, you know. Uh, I mean, we have had like four new albums since then, so I'm hoping, you know, people appreciate those as well. But I do understand the significance of of you know Romeo's Daughter One because of Mutt's involvement, and um, and it really, you know, it's it 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 gave us our fan base and it enabled us to keep on doing what we're doing now because we would never, you know, we couldn't believe it when uh, we, we were offered a gig in 2009, a festival. We, we, we hadn't played for 18 years. We, we broke up for 18 years and we all did other things. And we were, we were asked to do this festival um, called um, Firefest, which was like a really great festival. Um, it's not going anymore. It's in Nottingham. And the, the guy, Kieran, who organized it, had been asking us for a couple of years to reform, to play at this festival, because the whole thing about Firefest was bands from the 80s that they'd loved and 90s reforming to play at this festival. And when we got together and we did it in 2009, we were like, nobody's going to know who the hell we are. We honestly, we, we, we really, we were so ignorant about um, people's love for us. And, and, and I remember we walked out, we were so nervous. We hadn't done a gig for 18 years or maybe even longer, 20 years. And we walked out on stage <laughs> like we just, the roof went off the place. And we were like, how do these people even know who we are? 
And that was when we thought, oh, this is crazy that we're not still doing this. And obviously there was no social media before, there was no Facebook, there was no ways of us keeping in contact with anybody. So uh, yeah, you know, it, it was wonderful. And and I I don't listen to it very often, I'll be absolutely honest. It's kind of, you f- I forget. And then sometimes I'll just think, oh, I'll go and have a listen to, to the first album and I listen and it brings back wonderful memories. And I'm very proud of it. We all are, we're all very proud of it. There, there's certain songs I, 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 like, I cry myself to sleep at night and, and uh, yeah. don't break my heart and velvet tongue. Just phenomenal. Like it, and, and great headphone records too. I mean, you could put those yes. records on and just dive yes. into them. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those three songs, actually, we still put in our live set. Um, took a while to get don't break my heart in because it was so high. And I was like, Oh my, so we had to build our way up to that one. But, but cry myself to sleep. It will be a song, you know, people sing it. They sing all the words when we gig, you know, they know it. they, it, it, that will always be a song. And Wild Child, Wild Child for us is also um, probably a song that we will always have in our set, just because people obviously then knew it from heart. And, you know, a lot of people couldn't understand why we were playing a heart song. You know, I had to put them right on that. Um, so, yeah, th- those are, our, you know, those, in fact, those songs. So we've got Cry Myself, Heaven in the Backseat, Velvet Tongue, Don't Break My Heart. We We play like half of the first album in our live set still. Do you, do you have a favorite, um, a personal favorite song on that album? I think for me, Cry Myself is, is oh, Cry Myself and Him. I, I always think like Him was just, just one of those beautiful little moments and it, it just came together really quickly and we, we recorded it really quickly and a lot of people got married to Him. You know, they, they, they play, um, uh, yeah, but I think Cry Myself for me is just, a really beautiful ballad it's like a I don't I think there's it's hard beaten by a lot of rock ballads I'd say it's pretty much up there for me you know in those kind of big 80 ballad songs I have yeah for me cry myself is 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 still my favorite from that album and how did it feel having uh heaven in the backseat be included on a nightmare on elm street film which I think is is really interesting. <laughs> I think that that came through um, uh, the that yeah that was through Jive and it was odd really because I'm not really a fan of of horror films and I had to go and sit through it just to kind of hear it. It was a bit like I sat through the whole film with my hands over my eyes. I'm such a wuss, um, but yeah, it was great and it was lovely having Freddie in the video. It was fun, you know. It was just like one of those fun things, you know. I think maybe. We, at the time, we thought, this is it, you know, this is it, where this is just going to get better and better. We, we're going to do more and more. And, you know, we did this incredible radio um, tour of America and we, we flew right across America and we toured all the big radio stations and we were driven around in limo, limos. We were like, yay, this is it. This is great. And then, you know, it, it didn't happen for whatever reason, you know, bad management, just bad mistakes. You know, we were young. We didn't really understand. We we trusted everybody who looked after us to do the right things. And a lot of the right things were missed and weren't done. Um, and it's just one of those things that it just didn't, it, 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 maybe if it had come out in maybe in 88 or 87, it would have been different for us. Timing is everything, you know, and 
I think we just really missed the boat by about a year because uh, of everything, how music changed, you know, in the 90s and the, the genre, the stuff we were doing was seen as being old, a bit old hat. Um, and so it, it didn't happen. But when we were in the moment and it was all great, we it was fantastic. You know, it really was. We loved it. Starting the sessions for the second album, was that sort of the idea that just you and the band were going to collect demos and then bring them to a producer at some point? Was that the initial plan? Well, well, Mutt was going to do the second album. Mutt, yeah, Mutt had said that he wanted to record the whole of the second album, and but that we had to wait for him. And he, I think he was working on Brian Adams and he, the car, I don't know. Um, there were a few things. He had to do the new Brian Adams mm-hmm. um, album. And we went, great, great. And, and Jive went, great, you know, this is going to be great. You know, Matt's going to do the whole of the second album and we'll just build on the strength of the first one. And, and you know, we waited and we waited and we waited. And I think we waited like three years. And in the end, he just couldn't do it. He just, he got himself like tied up in a lot of different things and his commitments changed and, and he couldn't do it. And, and it, was a, it was obviously a kind of the death for for Romeo's daughter to a certain extent because really we should have followed up with the second album like way before then and it was so disappointing to hear that and then we had to go and find an then we, then our then Jive weren't interested and we lost well, then we lost our deal at Jive and then we had to go and find a new record deal and it kind of all turned into a bit of a mess to be honest um we had two guys we had two producers working on the second album and I mean Interestingly, I think there's some fantastic songs on Delectable. It just doesn't sound great. It, you know, sound-wise, it, it wasn't a patch um, for us on what we'd done with Mutt. But it was a real pity because there are some very good songs on there. And um, so that was also, after Delectable, we were very disillusioned. We were now in like 1992 or 1993 and we're like, what are we doing? We've, we've missed the boat. And so we, we kind of decided at that point that we were going to have a break from each other. We'd also been together for 10 long years and there'd been a lot of disappointment in that, in that time. And we all felt that it was probably time to kind of just maybe see if there was something else that we wanted to do with our lives because it was, you know, financially very difficult. We weren't making very much money and, you know, sometimes you just got to get on with your life. And so Delectable for us just kind of moved on and we we kind of forgot about it. Interestingly, now Delectable is one of a lot of some of our fans' favorite album, which we think is incredible, really, because we can't understand why that they would prefer it. But I think sometimes Rock fans don't like things very smooth and and built. They like a bit of like raucousness, and Delectable definitely had that. But we played some of the Delectable songs as well in our live set. We try and cover like a few songs from every album, really. Um, so yeah, Delectable for us. Craig hates when he, we talk about Delectable because he just he's so disappointed in it. He's like, no, I, he really doesn't. He doesn't have as much affection for it as as I do. There's good songs on that. I, I like um, the opening track, Have Mercy. And, uh, yeah, the we single, play Have Mercy. Yeah. I think that to me has a, um, I was almost convincing myself this could have been the song that Mutt 
would have like had his hands all over because yes, it has no, that you're probably same, right, those yeah. same elements with the backing vocals, the big yeah, game yeah, vocals and all yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah, um, you're right. You're the right. The big guitar riff, right? And then, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Attracted to the animal, which was released as a single as well. I think that's a strong song too. Yeah, so, yeah. Great. There is some great material on there. Like you said, maybe it's just more like the Sonics weren't all there, but no, absolutely. And and I think you know as well. We 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 were, we were all we were a bit fed up by then. I think you know we just. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember exactly, but I, I remember there was a feeling of, oh, what are we, you know, what's the point, really? You know, it was, we were the label called Music for Nations and we didn't, they were great, but but we didn't get very much support. And I, once again, I think we were still, we'd missed the boat on it all. And so we were kind of playing catch up all the time. And that's not, that's not a good position to be in, you know. Um, and so I think that when we decided to get back together again in after 2009 and and we we recorded rapture which was our first album back together it was like a, a really kind of different experience we were just like oh let's see what happens if we let's record these we'll you know we did it ourselves there, there wasn't really any pressure on us and and then the same thing with spin we've actually just finished a new album um which we'll be releasing next year and it's it's a very different kind of um experience recording i tend to, to to just do it with craig you know craig writes a lot of the tracks andy puts the drums down we we don't do it together we, we do it you know um kind of singularly and then we send everything in well also through lockdown that was the only way you could do it um and we they take ages to do because because we're busy doing lots of other things um but we, you know, we wouldn't hate to put out anything that was substandard and something that we weren't really proud of. And so, you know, that's what we'll just keep on doing. You know, not everybody's going to love everything you do all the time. You know, certain people have got, you know, when they, when they kind of take an, to your hearts, you know, your fans expect something of you. And sometimes when you do something that's different, they, they really make it very clear that they're not very keen on that. It's, it's, it's quite an odd thing about how when you make an album, you, you want to please your fans, but you also have to please yourselves. And so that's always quite interesting when you release something, because you never know if anybody's going to like it or not. So far, we've been very lucky. They've all been really well received. You know, um, obviously, it's a cottage industry. We only get them out to the fans that know that we're about. Um, and so, you know, that's fine. That's fine. You know, we're, we're older now. We're, we can't expect to do what we did when we were in our 20s, and we don't expect that. In fact, we don't want it. We, it's, it would be too much hard work. So we, we just release albums when we're ready, when we've got the songs that we think are good, and when we're happy with our performances. And, and you know, that's how we'll probably keep on doing it until, for some reason, we can't do it anymore. So you've gone back to the mentality you had at the very beginning, really. It comes full circle. It's all about having fun. It's all about enjoying very much so. what you, the work. It's not about very stressing much so. about it. So yeah, so, very, very much so. To me, the yeah. second the second part of your career, starting these last three records now, they're, uh, well, the last two and the upcoming one, I mean, uh, it seems to me like you're back in that place of just enjoying the experience overall. Oh, very much so. We, we we wouldn't do it if we if if we didn't. We're as I said before, we're we're all very busy. So, uh, and me for me personally, um, it's quite interesting as a singer. I I don't get to sing nearly as much as I would like to. Um, 
just because of um, time constraints and life. And so when I go in to do a vocal, I it takes me a little bit of time to get my confidence back because I'm, you know, um, I, I'm not that much of a fan of listening back to myself. And, and so when I do, you know, I, I'm very critical of what I hear. Um, so, but the older I get, I don't think my voice has changed that much. Um, and so I still think I sound quite similar to how I sounded when I was younger. I probably just don't have the same range as I did. And, and that's kind of a natural thing because obviously as you get older, things change in your body. And um, especially when you don't sing as much, your range, you know, you have to like practice a lot to get your range really high. Um, and, and I don't really want to have to sing that high anymore because <laughs> I, I think my tone has always been a little bit better when it's a little bit in a lower range. Um, and so, you know, I get huge joy out of singing. You know, all the endorphins go crazy. After I've had a day singing with Craig, I'm on cloud nine. It's a, it's for me, it's the, the best thing that I could possibly do in my spare time is sing, you know. Um, and I'll carry on doing it for as long as people want me to, really. Wonderful. I, I always admire genuine artists who do it for the passion and who through it all just persevere and it seems to me like you're one of those kinds of artists who you're doing it from the heart it's all about yeah. perseverance for you and you actually really do care about the work that you do oh very much so we would never you know i think um, a lot of pressure is put on bands to a certain extent that have record deals and they have to release an album every one or two years and you can tell a lot of the time with that you know in that they haven't had the time you know it's like it's like authors a lot of the time their their best books are the first book you know and then they write a really quick second one and it's never as great and then they have time to go and then you know so we don't have those pressures on us we don't need to do that um so we you know we have a lot of songs that we go through before we decide on the ones that we that we want to actually record um and it it's quite interesting because at the moment, um, so once we've recorded something and we, we kind of, we, we demo mix it. We, we, we haven't, we only finally mix them when we've decided on all 10 of the songs. And so Craig sends them to me once I put the vote down and everything's down and then he'll send me the demo mix. And then I live with the, the tracks and we have a listen. We think, Oh, do we like this? What, you know, drum sounds, all that stuff that you go through when you listen to a track. And, um, there's, there's the song that I thought that I wasn't that crazy on when I actually recorded now is my absolute favorite song. It's it changes all the time with the songs. And that is what I think is one of the good things about Romeo's daughter is that I think, especially with Craig's songwriting, he's he like he, he you know, it's called like an like an earworm, you know, when when a song goes in your head and you think, oh, and then all of a sudden you think, oh, that's mm, and you go back and you listen to it again. And and I think his songs have this way of just kind of creeping up on you and you're thinking, Oh, that's like, wow, that's, that's really good. That, that one's, that's one's better than I thought it was. And I'm going through this thing now where I'm every time I listen to the tracks, you know, I, I, there's one that I prefer and I think, Oh yeah, that's, yeah. And so that's what I hope people think when they listen to our albums, they don't make a decision straight away on their favorite song. You know, they listen and they listen and then, 
it, they change their mind and then they hear something that's of merit in some, in a song that maybe they they weren't that keen on when they first heard it you know uh i think that is kind of a, the romeo's daughter thing i don't think it's always that obvious with us uh and then the more you listen the more you know you yeah you hear things that you like yeah the songwriting is very layered there's a lot of layers to it that reveal themselves through multiple listens. And I think that's to me, one of the things that I gravitate towards because I, I love music that just keeps you coming back for more. And every time you put it on, you're going to hear something different or notice something different, whether yeah. it be, it just reveals itself over time. And I think that to me is what makes it magical is that, that factor of uh, it's not about the quick fix. It's about, yeah. it's about that replay value. Yeah. So yes, very important to me I, as a music listener and fanatic. Uh, the last two records you put out were where I thought that they were really, really well put together. Very. I thought they were phenomenal, to say the least. Thank you. I think you it was almost like the beginning of a, of a new start. It was like a whole new start, almost like uh, a new band in a way. It was like so it yes. sounded fresh and reinvigorated. Yes. Um, yeah. What can you say about the new record now? Is there is there anything you can mention about it? Um, well, the new um. I think the new record, we've got a couple of heavier songs on the new record. And what I mean by heavier is that I, I've always like thought that Craig is like a phenomenal guitarist. He, he really is, you know, in the UK, he, you know, he, he really stands up against like any of the, the great guitarists that, that have come out of this, this country and in our genre. And I, I've always thought that maybe we should like, he should do more. He should like his solo should be a little bit bigger, and he, you know the the riff sometimes should be a little bit heavier. And so we've actually got like about three or four songs that are quite sassy, <laughs> and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed singing them. And they're like you know they're a bit like you know fu songs. You know, excuse my French. They 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 really are you know. That I would say that they're heavier than a lot of the stuff that we've done. But then we also obviously have we've got like a beautiful, like a ballad, which is which is kind of sounds like a, a little bit like a Disney ballad to me. It's like really sweet. It's a really pretty song, but it's it's um it it, it it's really really catchy. Um and and then we've you know got a few of like the quirky ones that you know we always tend to have similar we we've always got like a really pared down song like we had him and we had a song called will be we had a song called sugar daddy on on delectable and we've got one of those songs on this album that's just really um it's just kind of guitar and me singing um and so i'm excited i mean you know all we can do is our best you know that's all you can do and we're gonna. We're when we release it, we're just gonna hope that the people who like us like it. And and you know, it's a really scary but a really lovely thing to share with the fans, our fans, and new fans. You know, quite interesting actually. Recently, I've been getting maybe it's through Renaissance. Um, I've been getting quite a lot of orders through our shop for America. Because I think America, you know, we went, when we did the radio tour, we never went back after that. You know, we never toured there. We never, that was it. We went, we came, we did some gigs, you know, we, we did some radio interviews. We did some store stuff and that was it. Ne never again. We never went back. And, and I always believed that, that America would be our biggest market if, if it had been, 
may be promoted in the correct way. And um, so for us, really, uh, we're going to try and, and do a little bit more and, and get our albums released in America, something like in just in shops so that people can buy them. You know, it's really hard for people to buy our stuff over there. You know, they have to buy it from our shop <laughs> or get it from the, the, the stuff that's on Amazon. So, um, you know, yeah, it's it's all good. It's all good, Max. You know, it's wonderful. We love it. We do it with love. We release it with love. We got to hope we get some love back. That's all you can really ask for <laughs> at this stage in our lives. It's a different time now, too, um, for better or worse, right? I mean, everything's yeah. immediately accessible. But yeah. there's a, but there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of content because of it, oh. because literally because anybody can do it now. Now there, there's no um, there used to be gatekeepers. You yeah. had the MTV, you had radio sure. promoters. Now it's just an open floodgate. Yes. And that can be good and that can be bad. That's why I started doing this, because I wanted to I think we need more people who are passionate about music to have. Yes no matter how many podcasts, radio shows, doesn't matter, but more filters, more people that you can trust with yes, their ears, so. more personalities to say, listen yeah. to this. This is really yeah. good. Support Absolutely. these bands, right? So yeah, that's why Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time to do this because uh, you're one of those artists that to me and, and Romeo's Daughter in general is one of those bands that deserves the attention, deserves the action. Well, thank you. And uh, well, it's lovely to be asked, you know, it's it's it's, yeah. a, it's an honor to be asked. And it's it's lovely that you've taken so much care and you and you you really know what you're talking about, you know, and you you obviously know our music really well. And and that, you know, is, is that never ceases to amaze me. <laughs> People, you know, it's always like a real honor to hear that, you know. Just just remember this. Thank thank Mutt because I went through a period where all I did was go through his discography. Because oh, I'm really? one of those, I like I like producers. So every now and then, if there's a producer with a certain sound, yes. certain, I want to go through everything that they've ever oh, worked on. And your so record, you, your record yeah. pops up. Yeah, your record oh, pops I up, see. and I said 1988. What what is this? And um, right, it went from there, and I was immediately floored. I said, how how did this Past me, I, I I couldn't believe it, but I, Who I think are these guys. <laughs> I think it made it that much more magical. The fact that it's almost like this lost album that sounds like a classic. So I think it only made because I can be very selfish as a listener. I say this is only for me. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> this is great. Uh, so I know something that the world doesn't really know about. Right, right. But now you know. Of course, I can provide the exposure for people and say absolutely you know the, absolutely it, it's fantastic and you know the more people that 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 hear it you know they might they might all of a sudden think wow i you know this is like a, the whole genre of music from that time that they didn't even know existed especially if they're younger people you know and and um you know there's the, the still a, a huge fan base for people who love our kind of music you know it's quite interesting the other day i was reading um that the bands that had made the most money in touring in the last whatever 10 years and uh it was i think top of the list was the stones and there was bruce springsteen and u2 and they were all rock bands from uh, it's like where are any of the new guys no, nobody they weren't even on this list you know paul mccartney was on there um uh def leppard were on there and it's a kiss it's like how come they're still the bands that are making the most out of touring? It's still quite 
staggering really because you don't really think of it like that you because you all you're hearing when you turn on the radio is music from now music that's you know really not particularly you know different you know a lot of the time you can't really tell who you're listening to because it it all sounds very similar um the genre that genre of you know whatever it is um so i find it quite interesting that that it's those bands that are still making the most money out of touring. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to songs and, and legacy. And I think at the end yeah. of the day, those songs, there's an enduring quality. There's the way that they were written. It wasn't about, these are bands and artists that spent time, lots of time yeah. on craft and development. Yeah. And we don't have yeah. that. That I'm not trying to sound uh, old school here, but I think I don't think it's wrong to say that People should spend more time. I think it's a different world now. Everything is yeah. about immediacy. And I think yeah. that has uh, bled into artists and yes. people and, and songwriting. It's not about taking time anymore. And yeah. I think the results suffer because of that. Because to me, yes. it's art. And at the end of the day, there is no time stamp on that. I think it needs to be crafted. And I think yes. these artists that are on the, in the top 10 right now, whether it be the Stones, Springsteen, you know, Kiss, Def Leppard, they actually, these are artists that took time on their yes. work and it shows because those songs are still being played, rotated. Yes. Uh, unforgettable music there. And yes. to me, uh, that's going to, the Beatles are always going to last. There, there's always going to be oh, the actually, Beatles. Oh there's always goodness. going course, to be God for the, the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. And, and that's why I think it's important to promote artists. There are plenty of artists out there, whether it be through uh, factions like Bandcamp, um, independent uh, music labels that just yeah. aren't getting enough attention and they should be, yes. they're actually taking the time to write great songs and craft yes. great songs. Right. I think they need more attention. Just, yes. We need to flip the script a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a conglomerate, isn't it? They're like yeah. just kind of gobbled up so much of it yeah. and the music industry has become very corporate and I don't know whether it was as much, you know, used to get like, you know, used to get like a three, deal you know three album deal when you used to sign before you know and and now you you're lucky if you get a couple of singles really so how do you how do you hone your art you know also gigging you know in this country it's hard you know especially since lockdown it's affected the gigs and a lot of gigs have had to close so you know when when we were starting out we used to get a little white transit van that Craig used to own and we just gigged up and down the country that was that was how you 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 kind of got good at you know playing live and um I really think now how do bands now do that where where do they where can they play you know um you need a promoter to put you on if they don't know you you're not going to get a gig so it's very different must be very tough Mm -hmm. for young bands now to do what we did well um on a on a brighter note thank thank you thank you thank you for the new music thank you for i cannot wait to hear what's in store oh that that's Um, very kind max i'll send you a copy as soon as it's out thank you i I really appreciate that it means the world just um name your price i i I love i love what you guys are doing i really appreciate it with all my heart thank you so much thank you for taking the time to add some credibility to something i'm starting out here only like a year and a few months since doing this but um, hopefully uh, we can get places with it. And Great. all thanks well, to thank- people like you for taking the time. Oh, well, thank you, Max, you know, and, and, and um, it's people like you that keep 
people like us going, you know, <laughs> spreading the word. And it's been lovely talking to you and, and, and good luck with your podcast. You know, I'll be listening out for it. Thank you so much. Lee Maddie, Romeo's daughter, the very best, one of the greatest singers in my in my book. So thank you so much again. And, thank uh, you so much. You always, you always have an open uh, seat here on Sonic Thorn. Oh, so brilliant. Thank you like so much. I'd like to have much. you on once the record's out. Come yeah, back. Once the record's out. Okay, great stuff. Until next time. Thank you so much, Max. Take it easy. You too. Bye.